0: Uh, there's only a limited amount of hours I want to work in a week, in a month, in a year. And so we could keep working, 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 but at some point that's not going to equate to higher margins or bit better
1: business. So That's the voice of Brian Kerr, owner of Kerr Woodworking. We'll hear from him and his wife and business partner, Erin Kerr, right after a quick word from our sponsors. Introducing Astra HP. The newest high-performance innovation in cutting-edge technology from Bits and Bits. Let me tell you what's new about it. It's incredibly thin, measuring at just 0.3 microns. It's also tougher than ever with an impressive 5,000 Vickers hardness. And it's specially designed to reduce friction and heat buildup, leading to cleaner cuts and longer tool life. Available now on all their newest spiral CNC bits and router bits. So if you want to check it out yourself, go to BitsBits.com. That's B-I-T-S-B-I-T-S.com. Hello and welcome to Building a Furniture Brand with Ethan Abramson, the show that talks about the business behind the furniture business. On this episode, I sit down with Brian and Erin Kerr, owners of Kerr Woodworking. No furniture maker is an island. No matter how much you can take on yourself, at some point, you're going to need help. Although coming from different industries, Brian and Erin understood that need, and when they started their own furniture company, recognizing their strengths and weaknesses at the beginning, and being the support the other needed, is how they've grown their company to where it is today. Follow along as we talk about moving in on other people's clients, keeping good notes, how much you want to grow, and much more. So let's start the episode, and hear about Brian and Erin's story in their own words.
0: Years ago, I was working during college. I was working for a moving company uh, just north of Philadelphia, and one of the clients that would hire our moving company to deliver their furniture was Nakashima Woodworking. And so, one of the times we went there to pick up some furniture to deliver for them, uh, we were there a little early, and the guy that we were like coordinating with was like, "Hey, we have some time. You guys want to tour the shop?" and of course, you know, that'd be awesome. I know George Nakashima is a pretty famous woodworker in some circles. So I got a tour of the shop and it just kind of blew me away, like how cool it was and the interesting pieces of furniture they were making. And one of the pieces they were making was for a celebrity. So it was kind of cool to see that. And shortly after that, I moved out to Seattle. And I think when I got there, I had a corporate job working in an office and I quickly realized that's not what I wanted to do and so I just kind of made the decision that I was still young enough I was in my early 20s I felt like if I'm ever gonna learn how to make furniture this would be a great time to do it there's like low risk uh, and so I just went to a bunch of different local furniture companies in the Seattle area and gave them my resume gave them my spiel that I wanted to learn how to make furniture and because of my background as a mover one of the companies decided to hire me as their delivery guy, but also I could work in the shop part-time. So it was like 20 hours of delivering furniture a week and 20 hours in the shop. And that has just progressed into the last 20 years, slowly learning woodworking and furniture making. Luckily, the first shop I worked at, they they used a lot of like traditional methods of woodworking. And I, I gained a lot of knowledge from the guys I worked with there. And over the, over the last 20 years, I've worked in like four or five different shops. I kind of always had in the back of my mind that I wanted to start my own company, but I feel like living in Seattle, it wasn't conducive. Like the shop space was really expensive. It was a little bit more of like a competitive environment. And then I think us moving to Asheville, we just kind of saw that like, if we're ever going to do this, this is like the right, it's ripe for opportunity. We had the the resources to join this co-op shop and we had some friends and neighbors that were asking us for commission pieces. We were like a little worried about finances. We have a young daughter, but uh, I don't know. I think we just decided to take the chance and go for it. And I'm very happy that we have.
2: It felt very organic how things kind of just opened up for us. And I think we had this moment where we were like, I think this is the right time to do it.
0: Yeah. I think too, for me, one of my biggest reservations about starting the company would be, I feel very confident in my woodworking skills and the ability to make furniture. But like there's many hats to be worn when you're a small business owner, like you're like keeping the books, you're marketing yourself. There's a many different aspects and having Aaron on board is what really made me feel confident that the two of us working together would be able to like handle this and be successful with it.
2: I have a very eclectic background. (laughs) (laughs) I am a jack of all trades. I felt very lost as a young person. I studied art history at NYU. Um, I was a uh, coffee educator and consultant in New York. And I've worked for Um, brand innovation companies. I've been a production assistant on commercial photo shoots. Uh, It is a a plethora of uh, different uh, careers. But I I found as I took a step backwards and really looked at it as a whole, it was all under a project management umbrella. And now that I have stepped in with, with Brian and we are managing this company and growing this company, I have realize that I wear all of those hats, all of that experience that felt a little unguided in the past is now working very well for me and for us and for the company. So it just really helped us kind of move us forward, whether it's dealing with clients in a hospitality aspect or um, dealing with the Instagram and our marketing and the visualization and how do we communicate that through you know a lens of a camera from a you know a physical item to be able to communicate with clients and and our product
1: Brian I want to ask you about your experiences working at other shops but knowing that you wanted to go out on your own and you wanted to do your own thing because I feel like a lot of people are in that situation and when you're working at a shop like this, how are you respectful to your employer's time and the people who are paying you to learn on the job, but also respectful to your own dream of going out on your own at some point?
0: Yeah, I think uh, one of the shops that I worked for in Seattle, it was actually like a husband and wife owned small boutique furniture um, company. And I think Honestly, I took the job. I was working for a much larger shop called Henry Built, which is like a pretty well-known in the furniture world, high-end kitchen cabinets and furniture and stuff like that. Henry Built employs the um, Toyota method of manufacturing. So I, I picked up a lot of great kind of tidbits on like how to run our business now from the way Henry Built ran their company. I mean, Henry Built's obviously a much larger scale, but, you know, there's a lot of little pieces that I took from my time at Henry Built that I'm, we're now employing in our day-to-day and how we run our shop space and our studio. And, and it, it was like one of those jobs where it's like, I could be here for the rest of my career and be very like happy and adequate like financially. But I had the opportunity to go and work for this smaller company. It was a husband and wife. And knowing in the back of my mind that I wanted to eventually someday start my own business, I figured this would be a great opportunity to like, you know, not only expand my woodworking skills, but also to learn from a small business owner, like what all is entailed in like running the business and producing furniture and client relations and like, what you need to produce as far as like shop drawings and keeping tabs of inventory and all the different aspects of, you know, running your own small business. And I felt like I did pick up a lot of good information from them. But I also, I feel like part of me, I was like pretty young back then too. I was probably in my late twenties when I worked there and, uh, I did see how hard they worked. I mean, anytime they wanted to take any time off from work, they were working like a 60 to 80 hour week the week prior to their vacation. And then as soon as they get back, they'd have to work another 60 to 80 hour week just to catch up. And I'm like, oh, God, I don't think I want
1: to do this. Like, that's crazy. I really (laughs) like how you said you saw a husband and wife furniture team and you said, this isn't for me. This is too hard. I'll (laughs) never do this. And then 15 years later, here you are having your own husband and wife furniture shop. And (laughs) you were able to make that jump. And you kind of talked about it a little bit because Erin is on board and, and has those skill sets to be able to run sort of the behind the scenes part of it, because the creator in you and the builder and the technical aspect of your your building is great, but you could be in the shop building every single day for your entire life. But if you don't get it out there, if you're not yeah putting it out there and, and having people buy it, then it's kind of a losing scenario for you. So I wanna talk to you, Erin, about how, how you're putting your company out there when you started this business.
2: I really quickly realized how special Brian's talents are. In my early 20s, I had worked with some artists that I recognized their skills, but they had a difficult time reaching clients, reaching people to purchase their pieces. Uh, and I would step in at one point and kind of try to make that connection. And I felt very similar about Brian. He is so very talented and it's it's hard to for him to focus on that talent and also juggle this other side. So it kind of, my intention was to relieve him of this aspect so that he could focus his energy on the, the building at hand. So the way that I did that, it really, it was not that difficult because I wanted to be very genuine, very transparent. And I I really love connecting with people and learning about other people. And so when we got here to Asheville, Brian and I did a lot of research on local architectural firms, interior designers, people here locally in Asheville that we really connected um, a vision with that we genuinely loved what they were doing, and I honestly, we composed an email, and we did just some cold emails, introducing ourselves, um, kind of telling the story of Brian and the companies that he had worked for, how long he had worked, uh, some images of projects that he had been on or a part of that are pretty well known, and then just genuinely connected with them and and let them know that we love what they are doing. We would love to be a part of it. We're new to Asheville. We're currently taking on new clients and we would love to meet with them. Hired a brilliant photographer to shoot our product, which I think is a huge component. And once we kind of got that image out there and just started doing these pieces and being easy to work with. Being reliable. I feel like all of these things beyond at the end of it, having this beautiful piece of furniture or product where they're just like, oh, that, that it was so great working with you. The end result was gorgeous. And they just end up reaching back out to us or telling someone this community is very welcoming and helpful and everyone talks to each other and helps each other out. And word of mouth is really big here. So I very much leaned into that in Brian's story. Uh, and that just kind of propelled us forward.
1: In the beginning of that, you said it kind of wasn't that difficult. But I know that <laughs> you're, selling, you're selling yourself a little bit short because even if being an outgoing person comes naturally... It is difficult to build a business, especially in a new place, especially in a new city. And you could have all the skills in the world, but breaking into a new market is hard. And I want to talk about that because when you came in, yes, you had 20 years of woodworking and furniture experience. And yes, you had all this work in production and marketing, but you were in a new city. You were the new kids on the block. And I'm sure there was already people building furniture there. So how did you come in and respectfully break into the scene, getting new clients, taking business away from the old people, but still be friends with the community? Yeah, I think one of the things that for me,
0: at least when we and, you know, I think this is like kind of a mission of our company is living here in Asheville, I feel like the creative community, whether it's like arts or furniture or metal workers or whatever, uh, whatever kind of artist, everyone here is very uplifting to one another. And it doesn't feel like there's a sense of huge competition here. Obviously, I'm sure there's like some competition at some level. But for the most part, I feel like especially us coming in and working, uh, we work in a co-op shop. And so there's, I think, 15 other woodworkers that work out of the same shop space as us. And being around other woodworkers and talking to other people who run their own full-time businesses, it feels like there's enough work here for everyone to be successful. We, I think for us, when we started this company, we're not looking to be like this huge furniture manufacturer that's like conquering the world. We want to find our space in this world and create beautiful products for clients that we love to work with, Um, you know, and obviously make enough money to sustain our family and to live comfortably in our community, but take a vacation vacation every (laughs) once in a while. Um, But beyond that, like, I feel like there's plenty of work for everyone and, I know for me, like sometimes clients will reach out and ask me about different pieces. And if I will be completely open and honest with them, if it's something that's like maybe outside of my skill set, or I don't have a lot of experience, but I know a woodworker just down the road that they have, like they are experts in this and they will give you a product that's like right in line with what you're looking for. I have no problem like sending them down to that other woodworker. I'm not going to take every commission that comes to us if I don't feel comfortable in producing what they want. And, you know, I feel like we've also had people come to us and be like, hey, so-and-so recommended you to us because they thought you would be a better suited, you know, woodworker for this specific project. And I feel like that has been like one of the things, not that that didn't exist in Seattle, but I feel like Seattle a much bigger city. There's more like more like more woodworkers and maybe a little bit more competitiveness to it. But I feel like Asheville, because it's a pretty small community and everyone seems to know everybody, which I love personally. Uh, Me too. I just felt like the community was much more like tight knit and welcoming and uplifting and we just want to be part of that. Like we don't want to like come in and like carve out our piece and move on. We want to like come in and help like foster that community even greater and further. So. And that's
2: how Brian learned his trade from others. So we feel like it's also a part of the evolution that now. You know, if we can help someone or if someone comes in and asks for advice or uh, is new to Asheville and reaches out, then we, of course, want to be as helpful as we possibly can, because that's how we were, you know, treated. And, yeah. and it's just kind of the evolution I want to get
1: into a little bit of the the technical side of your business. And the, the forward-facing part of a business is, for the most part, a website, your website. And even though you're saying you don't want to take over the world with your furniture, it feels like a very high-end, professional, large-scale production furniture shop. But the one thing that caught me was that you can't actually buy anything on the website. Yes, you have the pieces, you have collections of pieces for anyone who wants to buy and you have descriptions and you actually have the pricing on there, but you don't have a buy now button. Is there a reason for that? And why are you going that entire way with sharing everything, even the price, but not able to buy the piece from you?
2: That's really interesting that you asked that, because I actually, um, that is in our, our wish list, if you will, for 2024. Um, I'm in the process of uh, transitioning our website from a more portfolio-based website to a more interactive website, where you can purchase items off of the website, in particular, our made-to-order line of furniture and our home goods. So that definitely just kind of signifies that the stage that we're in as a business, that website has served us well in communicating to people what we're able to do in a portfolio kind of sense. But as we transition now, um, you know, the ebb and flow of growing a business as we keep growing, that is definitely on our radar and, and will be changing Uh, hopefully this year.
1: Aaron, you were saying that your website in the beginning was more of a portfolio site and it was showcasing what you were building and you're primarily a freestanding furniture company, but in the beginning, were you taking built-in orders or made-to-measure orders or did you really stick to your core of we're only a table, chairs, freestanding furniture type company?
2: I think um, both. So I feel like it, it's two parts. We do do some built-ins, smaller built-ins, um, but I, br- where Brian really loves to be, and that's where we try to focus this, because I feel like if you really love what you're doing, it shows through and uh, in all aspects of the business. Uh, And Brian really loves to make freestanding pieces. That's where his true passion lies. So when I am marketing us, I try to have at least 85% of what I'm communicating to clients through Instagram, the website, are those freestanding pieces that he loves to make. I'm a big believer that What you advertise, what you promote, what you put out there is you asking for more of that. So if it's something that maybe we found to be a bit challenging or maybe we don't want to necessarily go in that direction, uh, we just don't necessarily advertise that as much. Uh, But we do do built-ins just kind of smaller on the smaller scale
1: I want to talk about pricing, and this is kind of a question for both of you because it is something that you're both figuring out together, I have to assume. Now I don't like to say that there's bigger markets and smaller markets for furniture, because you can be in a giant market and you can get no business, or you could be in a quote unquote, a tiny market and you could be having tons of business and you could have found the jackpot there and and can't build it fast enough. So. I don't want to say bigger and smaller market, but it is a different market coming from Seattle and kind of a bigger city to where you are now. That's a little bit of a smaller city. And also with you, Brian, working at some big furniture shops that were putting out worldwide furniture to now doing it for yourself when you said yourself that you don't want to really go worldwide. You want to keep it smaller. So when you're figuring out your pricing for pieces, and let's talk about your collection of furniture, because I know you're pushing that. How are you pricing that out for, yes, your local market, but with a collection of furniture, it could ship worldwide. You could be getting orders from anywhere. So talk about how you break down your pricing from when you develop a piece for your collection, then you put that price tag on it.
0: Uh, Usually what we do, especially if we're doing like a piece for our collection, we'll come up with a design. And then as I build it, I'll just keep tabs of my hours. Obviously when you're doing a prototype piece, um, you're probably going to be over your normal production hours because every stage you're kind of figuring out the process. But what we try to do is like, keep notes and, you know, make as many jigs as we can to kind of streamline that process. So when we do produce that potentially for our line, that we are, you know, maximizing our time and alleviating any extra costs that may come up so that way we can provide a good quality piece to our customers at like, you know, not at the most economical standpoint, but like. Something that's more uh, at a reasonable and accessible level. Um, So I think for us, like I've been doing making furniture long enough that when we come up with pricing, we can sit down and like figure out the price of materials and hardware and all that kind of stuff. And I can kind of gauge pretty close to how many hours of production it's gonna take for me to build that piece and how many hours it's gonna take for me to finish that piece. And you know whether or not we have to go out and install it versus just like throwing it in the back of the van and taking it to someone's house and dropping it off.
2: We also, we do this for every project, whether it's, um, whether it's our you know, prototypes or custom pieces, uh, collaborations, anything that Brian does we log everything. Um, it really helps us. So now over the last like three years, we have this bank of of, of information on, you know, what, what did I um, estimate the hours for this project? Where did I land in reality? What's the difference there? So that we can better, at, for each project, we are better at at providing that estimate on labor. Um, We track the cost of material, everything, and and I keep everything per project. So at the end of the year, I can kind of look at it as a whole of where did all of that information, all those numbers land so that we can make better decisions as we move forward. Because it is a learning process. Um, You just don't know until you get in there and look at it.
1: With having that whole bank of knowledge of projects that you've done before, are you looking to push that higher every single year or are you keeping it the same? How are you feeling your your progression is going for moving forward in this business?
0: I think we want to grow till we find where our like comfort zone is. I think we're still growing right now and we will hopefully continue to grow over the next several years. Uh, But we're also, I think, looking at different streams of where we can put our energy, whether it's like more of an e-commerce website where we can produce things that we have designed that are like easier for us to produce or small goods that we can make a lot of batch and make a lot of and sell to a larger market on the, on the internet. So I think we're just kind of looking to, you know, kind of experiment with all those different possibilities and see which ones work, which ones don't, which ones we want to put our energy. Um, And one of the things that I feel like that I learned, I talked earlier about like the Toyota method of manufacturing. One of the like the guiding principles is eliminating waste. And so for me, one of the forms of waste is just like not using your energy in proper ways. And so I feel like for us, if we can like direct our time and our energy, I feel like as small business owners, you're always looking for more time and more energy to put towards your business when you, you also want to have that balance between your personal life and your work life. And uh, for us, it's like figuring out ways to work smarter and not harder. Uh, there's only a limited amount of hours I want to work in a week, in a month, in a year. And so we could keep working, 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 but at some point that's not going to equate to higher margins or bit better business. So,
2: And I think as we focus more on what it is that really brings us joy, like what we love about the, the, the company and, and and producing these products, it feels less and less like work. We find ourselves talking design and talking about prototypes and getting really inspired. And, you know, and, and, and it's those moments that were I, f- I feel like we find this nice balance between work and, and enjoyment. And I think those are and that was kind of what I was talking about when you know Brian's happy place is making those freestanding pieces and so we we try to dive into that area as much as we can while still keeping our business afloat and enough to support our family and everything.
1: It feels less and less like work, but it is still work and you're still having to run a business and run it well and I'm sure that you've learned a lot of things over the years from working for other companies, working in different industries and working for yourself that has helped you be able to push yourself forward and to make it feel enjoyable, but still be a business that's running successfully. So what's some advice that you could share for people who are trying to start a business or for people who are already in business and want to do it better to really push your business to succeed?
0: Uh, I would just say to find the path you want to take and have like a clear goal when you start the business. Cause I feel like a lot of people know they like making furniture, but they're just kind of like, they just sort of start it and don't have like a clear goal set out for themselves. And if I would have started this business by myself 10, 15 years ago, I would have very much fell into that pitfall. But I feel like now that I'm a little bit older that I have Aaron as a partner You know, we definitely talked through those goals prior to us starting this business and tried to figure out, you know, an intention with this and a path that we wanted to take. Obviously, things come up, plans change, and you have to pivot off of those, like, inflection points. But for the most part, we have, like, a kind of like a mission behind everything we do. And, you know, and part of that mission is to, like, enjoy our work and to have good l- work life balance and to be present for our daughter and to take vacations once in a while. And, you know, to also be part of the community, but to also run a successful business that sustains all of that. So
2: I think I would recommend building beautiful furniture in, being a woodworker uh, and honing those skills is just half of it. I really think that being able to um, communicate that with clients, to be able to sell it, to support your, your passion of building is very important. And if you had any money to invest in that half of it, I would say invest it in a good photographer, spend money on a good photographer so That is what that content is what creates business. Lean into your story. What is your story? Uh, What is your intention? That is a huge pillar of, I think, being a successful woodworker, furniture maker, because that's a big component of it
1: wise words from both of you. You, It's it's true. And, and I appreciate you sharing those and the rest of the discussions that we've had throughout this episode. So thank you so much for your time and wishing you nothing but success as your business continues to grow. Thank awesome. you so much. Yeah, thank yes, you, thank you. Yeah, we appreciate you having us on.
2: Yes, and everything that you do. Yeah.
1: Thank you so much for listening to the show. If you liked what you heard and you got value out of it, Please think about leaving a review and subscribing wherever you listen. To learn more about the series, please visit buildingafurniturebrand.com, and feel free to reach out anytime with questions or guest suggestions to hello at buildingafurniturebrand.com. You can find me at the Build With Ethan on Instagram. Hope you enjoyed the show and can't wait to bring you the next one.